Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Random Health-ish. I am your host, Dr. Gloria Stone Osbeck, and tonight we have a very, very exciting show. Uh, tonight we have with us Miss Erica Horn, who has a master's in public health, and I think she even recently just got her doctorate of public health, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but she is going to be talking to us about um, hearing screenings in newborns and so much more. There is so much that falls under her umbrella and I'm so excited to have her on the show tonight so without further ado please join me in welcoming Miss Erica Horn. Hello. Hello good evening. Good evening welcome welcome. So for those who are watching who may not know who you are what you do tell us a little bit about yourself. So a little bit about myself I am Erica Horn. I do have a master's of public health. That's very true. I also have two certificates in epidemiology as well as health education and promotion. I um, currently am working on my doctorate, so I don't have it yet. So I'm working on my doctor of public health degree with the concentration in behavioral health science education at Florida Agriculture Mechanical University. And I currently work for the state department of health within children medical services as the data analyst for our newborn hearing screening program. Yes. Now that is what I want to kind of dive into first. So tell us about that. A lot of us, like, you know, when you have a child, you don't really think twice about, well, I wonder, can my child actually hear me? You know what I mean? Like, you don't really think about that because at that age, they're so vulnerable. They can't really communicate to you and let you know, like, okay, something is wrong with me, mom. Like, so what do you recommend in terms of when do you get the hearing? I know they do a small one, you know, when you first have the baby, they kind of, you know, rub and see, you know, do they kind of hear you? But tell us a little bit about that process. So within the state of Florida and within um, the EDDIE program, which is the Early Hearing Detection and Intervention Program, there are guidelines that we go by where each baby that is born should be screened in the hospital before they're actually discharged. And a screening actually comes in one of two ways. So they can either have an OAE screening or an ABR screening. So these are two different methods where they use different machines in the hospital to test the baby for hearing. Now, a lot of times the goal is to just have the baby screened before they're discharged and hopefully they pass the screening. But if they don't, there are further recommendations that that come into play where they need to be seen by an audiologist. That means we have to get into contact with your primary care physician and audiology has to be a part of that process of doing further screening, um, diagnostic testing, if it comes to that point, um, making sure that we actually get a chance to screen every baby. A lot of times people don't realize that hearing is very important for child development. It's important for their speech pathology. It's important for so many different areas. And a lot of times people just put it under the back burner or they're like, oh, it's just their hearing. They can hear or they're just acting like they can't hear me, but it's much more bigger than that. And unfortunately we see it in, um, we see a lot of disparities within like minority races and um, we see it within smaller rural communities where they don't have access to getting the screenings done. So um, one of the things that I love about my job is um, as a data analyst, I'm looking at trends throughout the state. I am processing um, the different results we're getting in. I'm running trend reports, analysis reports, compiling reports for different 
the different counties that we do have in our state and making sure that if we see an outlier, what can we do to make it better? Um, providing data visualizations like these are our target areas where we see a high density of hearing loss or we see a high density of parents refusing the screening because they can't afford it because mm -hmm. insurance ain't covering it or parents refusing it because the doctor says you don't need it. But in reality, the babies do need those screenings. So I definitely recommend that, you know, if you have a newborn, you get that baby screened before they leave the hospital. Um, if you have a pediatrician that says they're going to screen the baby, you know, you want to make sure that they're actually screening the baby be with the proper tools, the proper equipment, not a snap test, because I've spoken to doctor's <laughs> offices before where they say, oh, right. yeah, the baby we snap and if they turn their hair, they can yeah. hear. And it's just like, no, that's not okay. Like, we need to make sure they can really hear. Right. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting the best care and having lack of resources should not deter anybody because there are state programs that are there to help everybody be able to get the help that they need, especially for our children, because they are such a vulnerable population. Like you said, they can't speak for themselves. No one can actually understand what they're saying when they're crying. We don't know what they mean. So doing this work is really impactful because you're actually helping a group of people who cannot, you know, help themselves. Yes, absolutely. Um, I had a speech pathologist on a couple of weeks ago and we kind of, you know, talked about it briefly. We hit on the topic of, um, you know, them being able to hear properly and also speech development. So um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't like to link the two together, but they, they go hand in hand with each other. So they really do. Um, and I think it's also important because a lot of times parents will say, you know, if they do pass the initial hearing screening, that doesn't always mean that it's a sure, you know, that they, you know, they're they're in the clear. But I think it's important that parents are actually really involved within the first three years of their child's life with during development, during that developmental stage, because you as a parent may notice something that no one else is gonna notice at one year old, at two year old, at three years old. You are the the only one that's able to say, okay, my child is not um, speaking. They're not making um, words yet. There's something wrong. And be adamant when you talk to your physician about, hey, I think my child needs a referral or try to refer yourself to like an audiologist or the er early steps offices, which help and facilitate with those testing that needs to get done. But I think it's imperative during that time that parents are paying attention and not just to making sure that, okay, yes, we want to make sure everything else is right and fine with the child, but also their other developmental things such as their hearing and their speech, because it can save a child so much if you are able to detect um, a hearing difference, a hearing delay, a hearing loss at a younger age versus once they're three, once they're eight, once they're nine. If you were able to get intervention earlier, either it's like cochlear implants or hearing aids or some assistance learning, you know, ASL, if you're able to help that child, you're going to help their, you know, development for the rest of their life. Yeah, and that was another thing I was going to say. They have all the little cool um, hearing aid pieces and stuff now that, you know, you pretty much can walk past someone. You wouldn't even know that they had one, <laughs> one in their ears. So. <laughs> it is cool. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like the first time I saw the little pamphlet, like, oh, these are so cute. I'm like, wow, the work we do actually is able to help them hear earlier yeah. as opposed to, you know, a child struggling like you, you wouldn't want to be struggling. Like you're hearing nothing for like, as you're walking through. So why would you do that for the child? I think it's important. So what should a parent, what would you suggest that a parent, like some red flags that, Hey, it may be something 
wrong with my child's hearing? What are some things that parents could possibly look for? I would say um, a few things that stick out to me when it comes to like red flags are if your child isn't responding, you know, if um, you are calling their name, like, of course, you know, if you've known your child, you know, for your, their whole life and you call their name and they so they should know their name at a certain age and they're not responding. Um, if they are responding, but you're not able to understand them at a certain point. I know some people, you know, we all start and we're all able to every child starts speaking at a different age. So you have to know your child. So there isn't no blanket statement that if my child isn't talking by two years old, there's something wrong with my child, you know? But you have to know to see where your child has come from. And if you have noticed that there have been sounds, but you haven't developed any words, or they're having difficulty expressing themselves in some way, or you're never able to figure out what's wrong, um, if there's a lack of understanding and communication, then that I feel like that's a major sign that you want to reach out and say, okay, Hey, I'm noticing my child's not responding to me. They're um, unable to communicate with me because even if they can't speak yet, as they get older, they're able to tell you things and show you things through their actions. They can point to things. If they're not doing any of those things, those are really, you know, red flags that, okay, I need to see if I can help see what help is out there for me. Yes, absolutely. And so you wear a lot of different hats, ma'am. <laughs> Yes, I do. <laughs> um, so you are also a pre-health advisor. So tell us a little bit about that and how you're able to help students in that department. So currently I am a pre-health advisor. I'm a specialist for students within the care program at Florida State University. And specifically what I do is I provide guidance, additional guidance to what they're already getting about the pre-health field. So initially I was um, thinking that I was going to medical school to be a doctor. I knew all along I was gonna be a doctor, just didn't know which kind. And then the good Lord was like, you're gonna be a doctor of public health, not a medical doctor. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we'll switch paths. But in that journey, I got lots of experiences. Um, I got my bachelor's in chemical science and a minor in biology. Um, I worked as a medical assistant for six years, two years in primary care, four years in the emergency room. So I've been exposed to a lot of things that are very helpful for my students and have a lot of connections within the city that are able to get them um, different internships or at least showing them how to apply, make themselves the best candidates whenever they apply for whatever programs. So students who are on a track to med school, nursing, dental school, pharmacy, public health, any of those fields, because I have so many different connections and I've worked in the field, I bring all that information to my students. I host um, seminars, I host workshops for them, teaching them about the different careers that they may not even know exist in the health-related field, because there are so many that we just don't know exist. So sometimes, you know, we come in with the mindset, oh, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a doctor, but all along you're supposed to be a respiratory therapist. But you didn't even know that they existed. You didn't know that career even existed. So what I try to do is I bring people who are in these fields to them. I look at their um, actual transcripts with them. I look through their grades with them. I show them, okay, well, these are classes that you're doing well in. You may not, you're not doing as well in these. These are careers that kind of align more. And then you open their eyes to see all the different options that are available to them. I also provided a templates for my students that are applying for different grad schools where they're looking at all the different 
facets that are encompassed within grad school, like cost, location, um, the culture of the school. What is it? What would it be like? You know, having them do research in advance so that they're actually prepared. One thing I did not know growing up, and I don't fault anyone for it, but I just didn't know what it took to go to med school. So I wasn't on the best track. But once I learned, I was like, wow, I'm so far behind because I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And one thing one of my advisors told me was that, you know, everybody, no one's going to spoon feed you. If you want to know something, you have to go get it yourself. So that's when I realized, okay, I have to do research for myself. And I realized where I came from, people weren't really out there helping us. I didn't really have many mentors. There weren't many people guiding me. So for that reason, I was like, I got to help the next person. So I was like, I don't want them to go through as much as I went through just to realize I'm in the wrong path six years later. So I do everything I can when they're first coming in as freshmen, making sure they're aware of all the different opportunities available to them so that they can be the best candidate and they can make it to their goals the first try. Yes, absolutely. I think that um, also I'm from a rural city. I am from Selma, Alabama. And so um, for me and the high school and stuff that I went to, we had really amazing um, teachers, even through middle school. But medical school was still one of those things that I would say you kind of feel like it's out of your reach mm -hmm. because you don't really see too many people surrounding you that have been to medical school. You're not seeing, you're not having people come in to talk to you as a high school student about the possibility of medical school. So it's almost one of those things where it's like out of sight, out of mind uh, type of thing. And um, where I'm from, people are more likely to go into nursing or welding, mm -hmm. you know, some type of trade. Um, because we are from a, a more rural town. And so we do get a lot of um, medical doctors who just kind of come in, they do their couple of years just to get their loans repay, and then they dip out. And you know what I mean? And the cycle continues. So I think that is pretty awesome that you are just kind of guiding the students and just kind of letting them know that, hey, you have what it takes, and I'm going to help you get to that next point in your life. So I think that's awesome. Thank you. It really is a lot of work. And once you start working with the students and you see their passion, because the care program is already for, you know, minorities, so low socioeconomic um, background. So these students, we already know when they come in, don't have as many resources as the rest of the the rest of the school. So it's like because I know that it makes me even more hungry to like work harder for them and to help them in whatever ways they, you know, they need it. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about um, another um, hat that you wear. So you're, you're also over the health ministry at your church. So tell us about that. So um, I attend Family Worship and Praise Center, which is in Tallahassee, Florida. And about seven or eight years ago, I was appointed as the director for our health ministry. At the time, I was still green. I was very fresh. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I still thought I was going to medical school. But through this, um, through the appointment, I have been able to grow. Um, and that's kind of where my passion for public health actually grew. Um, I was able to talk to our different members, see the different needs that they had. And I helped with facilitating a couple of um, our weight loss challenges. We have a triple F challenge, which is our fitness, family, um, and finance challenge that we host. And it just kind of helps bring the resources back to the church. Um, one thing I learned when I was working in the doctor's office is 
because many people aren't a doctor um, and they don't, a lot of times they're scared of the information they'll get. So that's why they don't go. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times they don't have time, especially if they're in a lower socioeconomic status, they can't take off time from work. They have to work to make ends meet. So one thing that was really um, important for me was bringing in the help they need. So whether it was finding different doctors who could come in um, of all professions, like I would find the chiropractors, GI doctors, nutritionists, fitness instructors, and just having them come in for like our annual health fair that we would host and just provide resources to the church body so that they can receive it at church. Like if they're not going to be able to make it anywhere and they're going to make it to church, especially within the black community, mm -hmm. that's so important. You know, they're going to come to church. So I was like, well, we're going to bring the health to them. If they can't make it to the doctor, we're going to bring the health to them. And a lot of times, you know, people we're really open and receptive to it. We would try to get things sponsored, have different prizes sponsored. We would um, um, reach out to like our health department and the universities and have the students assist with health screenings, um, HIV screenings, um, and just providing different resources to them so they know what what resources are out there in the community for them. A lot of times they just don't know. So for me, it's very important, especially with that health education and promotion, like, hey, we have one body, this is the one body we're given on this earth. You know, we have to take care of it. We have to be able to live a long life to fulfill whatever purpose God has for us. And the only way we're going to do that is if we actually take care of the body that he gave us. So, you know, helping them understand that shift in mindset so that we can live long lives. We can live in purpose and on purpose and in healthy lifestyle. So that's one of the few things um, that we do within our health ministry. We also, um, in light of COVID, we kind of transitioned because um, we, we weren't having in-person services for a while, but when we did start back, we were very, um, and we were very, um, we were working really closely with our administration as far as safety protocols and ensuring that when people did come into the sanctuary, they were safe with, you know, screenings, um, you know, having Q, um, questionnaires to screen people before coming, taking temperatures, providing masks, making sure that there's social distance um, when they come in. So we've been very instrumental in helping with that shift. And as we continue to receive new guidelines, we're going to continue to move in that same direction so that we can provide a safe atmosphere sphere of worship for our congregants. Absolutely. Um, and so I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about why you feel that education is so important to you. So let's kind of just tap into that. And just why is education, why do you feel that education is so important, not only to you, but also uh, within our community? I honestly and wholeheartedly believe that what you know, no one can take from you. When you know something without a shadow of a doubt, no one can take that knowledge away from you. A lot of times we don't know. So then we're forced to just believe what everyone else tells us. And when we take the initiative to go and learn what we need to learn, to do the research on our own, to be productive in our society, be productive in our communities, it really makes a difference, especially for, you know, the generations to come that's to follow because there are generations that are looking up to us to say, what are you going to do? How are you making it through this? Um, what's your response going to be when this happens? And, um, 
a lot of times there's also a shift against education. Not saying that everybody has to go to school and go get a doctorate degree. Not saying that at all. But I think it's important that we take pride in our education, educating ourselves, whether it is a trade, whether you're starting a business, making sure you know the ins and the outs of whatever business you're starting, making sure you know the ins and the outs of whatever field you're working in. And you want to be that expert in that field. Because like I said, when, some, what, when you know what you know, no one can take that from you. And that's one of the greatest feelings to know that, oh, I know that for sure. There's nothing that you can say to deter me because I've done the research. I've done the math. I've read the books. I've memorized it. I can regurgitate it. And if I can do that, then I know for a fact what's going to happen next. I can tell you how this is going to work. I've learned the frameworks for public health practice. I know how this is supposed to move. I can move in this direction because I know it. So it's for me, it's really important. You know, education is really important because it's it's so paramount to life. You can't get to the next level without education. Even if you're, you know, just trying to a lot of we stay in the same range, we stay in the same arena until we get educated to go to the next level. So we'll be stuck in one area of life. We'll be stuck in a cycle that we don't have to stay in because we refuse to get educated. And once we get educated, we break barriers, we break cycles, we break generational curses that need to be broken in our lives and for our family members. Yes. And also, too, one of the challenges with education nowadays is that most people, well, I'm not going to say most, I'm going to say a decent amount of people who do choose to take up a trade as opposed to going and getting that college education degree are more likely to make a higher salary than people who are going for these degrees. I think that one of the challenges is that a lot of people go for the degree, but they don't think about what's to come after that degree. Like, yeah. what do you want to do with this degree? You know what I mean? And does it make sense for you to get this degree versus, you know, getting a trade or, you know, like a lot of people go to school for computer science. Yes, for depending on how high up you want to go. But then you can also get certifications. Mm -hmm. in certain, you know, coding uh, courses and things of that nature and where you can make, you know, six figures just as easily. Yeah. So I think one of the thing that one of the things that we need to truly educate ourselves and not just ourselves, but we need to educate our, um, you know, youth about is, is the amount of loans that you're going to take to go to school going to be worth it? by the time you get out, because we have a lot of people who go to school for different fields, but they are not working in those fields, but mm -hmm. you collected all of this student debt for that field. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, student loan debt is one of those things that just kind of hovers over you. You yeah. know what I mean? You can't file for bankruptcy. It ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing that's going to stick there right? all the time. And, you know, and I feel like that hinders um, our youth because when they graduate, they can't buy a home because, you know, this, the debt to income ratio is not matching and it is just more it's challenging. So I know one thing I want to tell the people watching is if your child is going to college, make sure that they are majoring in something that is going to make them money, make them happy. And it's something that um, they can truly utilize to, you know, pay their student loan debt down if they don't have scholarships. 
Yes. And that's exactly what I was going to hit on. You said scholarships. I, if I knew then what I know now, yes. I probably would not have gotten, you know, I wouldn't have paid for the second degree. Yes. Um, you know, by the grace of God, I'm not having to pay for this degree now. And I was like, if I had known then, I would have negotiated. I would have talked to who I needed to, to make sure that I wouldn't have to pay for these degrees. And, and it's just, you know, in the experience, the things I learned and I'm just like, okay, that's one thing I teach my students, negotiate, find a way. There's yeah. free money out there everywhere. So somebody's willing to pay for you. you <laughs> Collect five different small scholarships if you have to yeah. each year, but there's a way to get that education for free. If you know for sure that's where you're supposed to be and what you want to be doing and you're going to be happy in it. Exactly. Yes. And it's OK to take your basic courses at a community college yes. and then transfer, you know, make sure. Of course, you want to make sure that your credits will transfer before you do that. But it's OK to take courses at a community college and then transfer over and graduate from, you know, the college of your choice. That's OK as well. Uh, so don't feel like you're pressured or you have to, you know, go to this school because, you know, is this amount? And then one of the things that I wish I had known uh, was I got accepted to UAB. Um, but because I was a dance girl, I wanted to go to HBCU. I want to dance, honey. OK. Yes. And, you know, I transferred. I ended up going to Miles and not really understanding that. Miles is a private school, honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I should have just stuck with the public university. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but I wanted to dance, honey. So that's why, you know, I ended up going to Miles and I love it. I made um some beautiful friends. I met a lot of beautiful people. But like you said, if I knew then what I know now, I probably would have done a few things uh, quite differently. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> but uh, I hate when people say, oh, you, my child has to go to college. My child has like, do you know how many entrepreneurs are out here killing it? I'm a game. Not gone to college. Like college is beautiful. It's nice. It can get depending on what you want to do. Um, it can really, you know, enhance you and, uh, you know, give you the certifications or whatever that you need, licenses that you need. But don't make your kids feel like if they don't go to college that they are failures because there are so many things that they could be doing even right now, you know, that they can make a lot of money from, that they can be happy with and they don't have to worry about uh, increasing their debt and all of that stuff. So it's okay. Like, don't pressure them and make them feel like college is the only way. And uh, I remember I had to go um, speak to some students at the University of Delaware, and um, they were in over an over bail program. And I said that, and the advisor looked at me like, <laughs> like, how dare you say that? But I told them, I'm like, but even if you don't go to college, you have to do something. You know, yeah. so I don't think you're just going to sit at home on your mom's couch like yeah, you got out here. You got to, you know, do what you got to do and you got to, you know, get these coins because yeah. everybody has to pay bills. Exactly. And everyone has a different path to success. <laughs> so <laughs> what you did may not work for me, but what I'm doing may not work for you. So as long as you follow the path that was created for you, that's what's most important. Yes. And one thing I really noticed, too, is that um, 
as you get older, you realize all these little um, cute professions that you probably never heard of before. You know, like I probably would have did something like interior design or like, you know, I probably would have even gone into like architecture or something. You know what I mean? Like, but that was just something that wasn't really, I don't know, I guess brought forth in front of me. So it wasn't really talked about, like, depending on where you grew up, it really makes the difference, like the exposure and the access you have to certain careers. So like, you know, coming from a smaller area, it's like, you don't even know these things exist. And I'm not from a, I'm not from a small area. I'm from the city. Um, I still didn't know as much because I'm not like originally from, you know, America. So my family being from Jamaica, I was still I have a lot of that in my background that I know about. So everybody's a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer. So it's like, that's all you see. Yes. That's all you see growing up. That's all you think you can be. And then I opened my eyes and I got to college. I was like, wow, I can do this. And right. I can do that. Where were the people all along? <laughs> but I definitely appreciate it because once I did open my eyes, like the possibilities are endless. Like, endless. You can literally use every single thing you're passionate about and find a way to be working in it and doing it and doing it with grace and doing it without being overwhelmed, even if you are a very busy person like myself. Yes. I remember in um <laughs> I remember in high school, I loved I've always loved science. Okay. I've always been that person that, you know, just love everything about science. And um, but how I picked my major in college, I, um, I, I was like, okay, I know I want to do something in science and something in business. And for a while, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And someone was like, you have to get over your fear of snakes. And I was like, oh, hell no. And so um, I took the ACT and I think I scored like a 27 in like science. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to major. And that's how I ended up picking my degree. And I should have done like chemistry minor, or, you know, I should have stepped it up a notch, but I was like, okay. I'll just, you know, I'll get a degree in biology, not really understanding that biology is such a huge field. You know what I mean? It's like, do you want to do environmental? Do you want to be a botanist or zoologist? You know, so but that's why I say uh, getting your kids business or your friends kids business and, you know, challenge them and, you know, uh, just make them think a little bit more in depth about what they want to do, because simply just saying, OK, this is what I want to major in is not enough. We kind of have to take it that extra step uh, to get to that next level. Yes, ma'am. you can create a career out of anything. But I think millennials are kind of at the point where they're like, okay, does this job make me happy? Um, if it's not, I'm, I'm out. I'm, like, I'm out. <laughs> they are not wasting time. They truly understand <laughs> that, okay, if I cannot make it to work the next day or if I died, they would have somebody in my spot tomorrow. Why am I killing myself at this job? It's time to move on. They are working in happiness and I love it. I love it. 
I wish I had that much confidence when I was younger. I have it now. But you know, then I look at people like my dad, and he's been working the same job since he was 18. He getting ready to retire. 18. You know what I mean? And it is just kind of like I sometimes I, I question myself, like, why the hell can I just you know, do one thing and just be happy. But I just, I feel like I have to try this. I have to try that because one thing I don't want to look back on my life when I'm older and just be like, dang, I wish I had done this. Or, you know, yes. what if I had tried this? So I don't know. I think that's how we're different. Yeah, same. I refuse to live with regrets. I would hate to be old and be like, oh, I could have done this. I could have traveled here. I could have done I could have done this job for a little bit. I could have danced then, could have yeah. been a scientist then, could have been a model then. I just do it all now at this point because I refuse to look back and say, oh man, you could have done that when you had the time. Like, yeah. no, I refuse. So Erica, like, what is your ultimate goal? What do you want to do in public health? What do I want to do in public health? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> get it often. Um, within public health, I really want to be able to do work within the Caribbean American population here in America. Um, some things I've noticed when I used to work in the doctor's offices and emergency room, specifically with minorities, um, whether they were Caribbean or Hispanic, you know, people don't really understand our culture. So it's hard for people to treat our culture when you don't understand it. And when I've talked to different um, people I know that are doctors um, that I went to school with, and, you know, there aren't a lot of like training courses, depending on where you go to school, you know, specific to the Caribbean culture or to um, Hispanic culture and how you treat them you know, for, you know, different illnesses or different chronic conditions and stuff. So my ultimate goal is to work within the Caribbean community and be able to give back to my people, helping them understand, you know, the culture here in America or what the doctors may be saying here, but also being able to help the physicians that are treating our people understand how to treat our people. So when you go to a Jamaican and you tell them, you know, they may be diabetic and you're telling them to cut back on the hamburgers, then the French fries, they're going to say, okay, but they're not eating hamburgers and French fries. Right. So it's really not affecting <laughs> them. They're going to still eat what they've been eating. That's the equivalent in the American culture, mm -hmm. not knowing that that's what's the actual contributing factor to their chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to kind of help bridge that gap. And that's kind of what I'm working towards. Um, and it's, in addition to that, I love working with faith-based organizations. I honestly believe that, you know, because a lot of cultures gravitate towards their faith, if you can help, you know, within the faith-based organization, the churches, the synagogues, the mosques, whatever it is, you can help ultimately help their faith, ultimately help their health, because they can have faith that they can be healed, but won't take any practical steps to their health. But if you can help show them how this is not just saying I'm going to believe for my healing, but you have to do the work to actually get and manifest the healing that you deserve. Then it's um, then it's important that you know we work in those groups too. So I really just love working with faith-based organizations. I love working with the Caribbean culture. I love working with the youth. I mentor youth and I do public speaking for the youth on health within the youth. You know, taking care of your physical health, um, women's health as a young lady. So anything within in those areas is like my top, all my passions. And I will continue to do it until I can no longer do it. Absolutely. I love that. Um, do you have any closing remarks or anything that you would like to leave the viewers? Oh, wow. Okay. 
Um, if I have anything to leave with you all, it would be to truly know your purpose, what that purpose is, and to be bold and courageously walk whatever that path is. None of our paths are going to be the same. They will not look the same, even when it comes to education. So even with my job, I do a lot of data analysis, a lot of data visualizations. It's a lot different than what I do with the health promotion. But just because they're different doesn't mean that you can't do them all. I used to feel like I couldn't exercise all the different gifts and all the different parts of me because they're so different. And I was I had to realize that I can be one person with multiple passions and give the same amount of energy to every single area of my life that I love. It's all in timing. It's all in your different seasons and being able to know when to move forward in each of them. So I just encourage everyone to be bold, be bold in whatever your gifts are, be bold in whatever your desires and your passions are, and don't ever feel like you're limited because of whatever label may be placed on you. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I just want to thank you so much for just blessing us with your presence and your knowledge. Thank um, you for I having have, me. Yes, I've thoroughly enjoyed this interview. Um, <clears throat> I am going to put in a little plug in right quick. Um, so for those of you who do not know, oh, first of all, let me just say, uh, please visit her Instagram at underscore E-R-I-C-K-A, capital K-A-Y, Erica K, um, to follow her journey and to get updates on things that she is doing within the community. Um, also, I have a nonprofit called Cairo Health Missions. Yes. Yes. All right. So the goal of this organization is basically to bring chiropractic care to rural Alabama. OK, central and rural Alabama to people who otherwise could not afford it. Um, we are also working um, on a scholarship for black and Hispanic high school seniors in the area as well. OK, so if you would like to donate to this scholarship fund, please visit this website at ChiroHealthMissions.com. Also, um, you can pay through PayPal on there or credit card. But also, if you have Cash App, the Cash App is dollar sign Cairo capital H health missions dot com. Again, that's Cairo health missions dot com. I mean, I'm sorry for the Cash App is just dollar sign Cairo health missions. All right. Um, so if you would like to donate, please do so. I would love to bless um, two high school seniors with money that they can use for books or tuition, room and board, whatever the case may be. So if you like to donate, please help us out in doing so. Also, Random Health-ish, tune in every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We, we shoot live on YouTube and Facebook, okay? So be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. And also be, be sure to click share right now. Share this video so people can hear this message. Thank you so much for tuning in, um, Erica. Hang out. We're gonna. I'm gonna chat with you a little bit after we um, we end the broadcast. All right. Good night, okay. you guys. Good See night. <laughs>